Hello, Alex from Scrimba here. You are listening to a recording of one of our weekly fireside chats here at Scrimba. In a nutshell, we sit around an imaginary campfire and have real conversations about learning to code and how to land your first junior developer job. We bring out the imaginary kindling every Tuesday, and while we hope you enjoy this recording, we would much prefer to see you there live, because when you attend live, you get to participate in the chat and ask us questions. To learn more about the Fireside Chat, such as how to join, what exciting topics are upcoming, and what specific time the event happens in your time zone, head to scrimba.com forward slash fireside. On behalf of myself, my wonderful co-host Leanne from Scrimba, and everybody else on the Scrimba team, and our occasional guests here in the Fireside Chat, please enjoy this episode, and remember to subscribe so that you see future episodes as well as support the show. Let's get into it. Welcome everybody to the weekly Fireside Chat. This is an event we host every Tuesday here on Discord. We love it because we get to talk with all of you in the community. If you don't know about this event, maybe this is your first. We really talk about everything and anything to do with learning to code and getting your first developer job, either sharing new and exciting ideas, sometimes featuring guests like special guests or teachers at Scrimba. And then on days like today, sometimes we from Team Scrimba just like to hang out and chat with the community and sort of answer any questions you might have. In fact, last week, Bob Zerol, our head of education, who, oh, Bob's here today, if you want to join us on stage, Bob, we spoke about the Scrimba curriculum and learning to code and things like that, and just kind of took questions from the chat and answered them. I think today we'll do something very similar, only rather than talking only about the curriculum or learning to code, hopefully we can help you with all kinds of subjects related to programming. Since I myself on the podcast get the privilege of speaking to a lot of industry experts and awesome students who manage to find jobs, either on the back of Scrimba or without a computer science degree in general, Leanne is always interviewing career experts and very exciting guests on the weekly YouTube live streams. Definitely check those out if you haven't already, by the way. And Michael is a self-taught developer. I think, honestly, two things about you, Michael, I think people should know is that you have managed to build a successful career as a self-taught developer. But in my opinion, you're, you've got like a huge database of resources. Like for pretty much any topic we talk about, you normally have a link or a book or someone to check out, haven't you? I wouldn't say it's huge. I, I don't really write it down or anything. It's just uh, just in my head. I guess, yeah, I'm very interested in collecting all, all sorts of resources, follow different people. I don't like having an opinion on things, but at least I like to know that I know of a book or of an article where I can look up an opinion if I have to, but I'd rather not. <laughs> Would you say that like knowing where to find the answers is more important than kind of trying to remember them all in your head? I suppose it depends on the situation. Oftentimes, yeah. It's it's probably better to know who to ask than, uh, well, I mean, obviously it's best to know the answer, but you can't remember everything. Mm, 100%. Are you, are you joining us today, Bob? Are you able to chat or are you chugging away on maybe some new modules for the career path? I might be able to chat a little bit. I probably will drop off before the hour's over to get back to work on the React course. Avidian was asking earlier, will the React course be updated soon? And there's your answer. I'm, I'm shooting for the end of the month, but I think it might be the first week in October. What kind of updates can people look forward to, Bob? The whole thing is being built from scratch. And the main thing is that it's functional components with hooks. So really bringing it into the, the 2020s. The other one was class. We will still be teaching some components because they still exist out there. 
but um, it's a lot more in depth. Um, it's it's very intentional about everything that is taught. Some of the most popular exercises and and uh, the capstone, the meme generator, are making a reappearance, um, but with a new, fresh design. Uh, each section will have its own project, and that project has a Figma design file that people can download. So all in all, it's it's going to be a really great combination of the old React course, new topics in React, and uh, some some cool interactivity features like like using Figma files, kind of like uh, Frontend Mentor does. Sounds sick. Marley said that they just started the current React course. Is there anything people need to do? You need to worry about it, like hold off for the new one, or can you just keep plodding away? You'll be fine, Marley, to keep going on the current React course. And then when the one that I'm creating now gets released, then just start start over. You'll get more practice. That's better. Deb from Canada, potentially. I'm not sure if you clarified, Deb, after posting the maple leaf emoji. Deb asked if there is any functionality where your work could be evaluated. Like on Free Code Camp, you can go to the next exercise when you complete the other one. I know, Leanne, last year when we did the JavaScriptmas sort of uh, advent calendar of code, there were unit tests as part of the scrims where if they passed, you knew you'd succeeded, right? Is there something like that on Scrimber today or anything in the works? I think in the meetings, Freud has spoken about creating some kind of checking system that would do that. So it's in the pipeline somewhere, but I'm not sure how far off it is at the moment. That's awesome. I actually noticed that I think I'm assuming it's the same Abdallah, but I see Abdallah in the audience as well as I think I recognize the avatar, if not the username. Code luggage looks like um, Matthias. So in that case, they, they are two of the new developers who will be helping to add new features to Scrimber. Perhaps I could be one of them. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think it is them. Hello, guys. We have a, um, a Slack channel where we put all the feature suggestions that you give us. So um, keep them coming. Yeah. Just going to say, I did respond to Deb in the text channel, but one sort of band-aid over that for now is we're introducing self-assessment challenges that will be scattering throughout the, the front-end developer career path. It's not a great way to have the program assess you know, your, your code per se, but the idea is that it's a challenge we give to you with a set of requirements, and then we don't walk you through this solution. It's just, uh, it, it probably will include a Figma design file, so you have a design ready for you. And then your job is just to stop working on the career path and build that self-assessment challenge. And if you're able to complete it, then it's a really good, strong indicator that you're ready to keep moving forward. So yeah, that's that's kind of a temporary solution for that. Cool. John asked, they said that they're studying for an interview as an Angular developer. I don't think we have any Angular content on Scrimba. Um, we like to, I think we're somewhat opinionated about React only because, well, maybe maybe there's two parts there. I just want to explore this a bit with you, Bob, while you're here. But my feeling about us being quite, us only teaching React is that you can pick any front-end framework and you can be successful with any of them. Perhaps the biggest downside for a lot of new developers is that they sort of switch between them too early and try and learn them all. But if your plan is to build applications independently and get a job, probably it makes sense to double down and just focus on one framework. And we believe React to be versatile enough to account for most use cases. Yeah, we specifically focus on React because there are the most jobs in React. Oh, Obviously, that doesn't mean there aren't jobs in Angular or Svelte or Vue. 
But yeah, it's exactly like you said. Our goal is to help people become sharp enough to break into the industry. And a lot of employers will not necessarily care. I mean, if you're applying for a mid-level or a senior job, they'll expect you to know the framework they're working on usually, um, or or they'll they'll need to know that you can onboard very quickly. Um, as a junior developer, though, if you say I learned React and here's all the awesome things I built in React, um, and here's you know my understanding of the fundamentals as well, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, I can prove that I really understand those things and I learn quickly. They'll they'll just teach you Angular as long as you don't go in saying I'm an Angular expert and you've never done Angular before. You know, a lot of people are are understanding that they can teach you a, a framework if you need to learn it. Michael has corrected me and my faux pas because we do have a course on Angular. My bad. I also was going to ask you, Michael, what your advice would be for someone preparing for a job interview with Angular or any front-end technology. Uh, yeah, that, well, the only reason I know about it is because I remember when it came out, I wrote a scribble blog post about it. But I think uh, it's kind of delisted. You can't really find it in search anymore. It doesn't show up on Scrimba search. Uh, so you, yeah, basically, I think Freud wants to hide it uh, from everyone. But if you Google Scrimba Angular course, it will come up. So that's something Freud can do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes, he can't do it yet. Uh, well, I suppose he can delete it completely, but I hope he won't. Yeah, I would say that mainly we focused on React because in a way it's a little bit easier to learn as well because Angular requires you to learn TypeScript. You can't just write uh, vanilla JavaScript with it. I mean, you can, but it's not the default option. Kind of uh, everyone in Angular writes TypeScript, and that's the thing. Probably learning it is not actually that hard. A lot of people who start learning React, they kind of jump off to Vue and then learn Vue, or they have to learn Angular on the job. And I remember a lot of places that use Angular, uh, they're so desperate now that they basically say, whatever you've learned, if you know it, we'll teach you Angular. So that shouldn't be a problem at all. Yeah, Mike Roberts rightly points out that there's so much overlap between Angular, React and Vue. That's pretty easy to pick one up if you already know another one, which is a very good point. Marika wrote that, when did we all learn about Scrimba for the first time? And do we actually use Scrimba, the platform, to learn ourselves? I certainly do. I've just finished Pear's JavaScript course. And now I've gone from completely useless at JavaScript to at least having a clue what's going on, (laughs) which is good. Hopefully reflected in our Friday live streams. (laughs) And um, also doing um, Kevin's responsive design course at the moment. So, yeah, I definitely do. How did I learn about it? Michael told me about it. Michael found it from Twitter, I think. And as for when, I guess probably about three years ago now. Yeah, probably by then. Yeah, I found uh, Pear was tweeting about it and then I found him there. Uh, I tried it out and really liked it. And then that kind of like I got to know Pear a little bit more and then... Kind of roughly when the Angular course came out, I think Bob's React course came out as well. Uh, I think that was like the first uh, tries when Scrimba tried to uh, kind of look into frameworks because at the time we only had tutorials by pair on CSS. And that was when I wrote the article about React as well. And I was having a front-end job. And pretty much then I started using Scrimba pretty heavily to learn as well. I have actually really leveled up my React skills uh, by following that Bob's course. Unfortunately, after that, I had to move on to backend. So 
But still, yeah, I still use Scrimba to learn CSS, Kevin Powell. I didn't need React as much anymore. Uh, but yeah, I, I still use it from time to time. And uh, like JavaScript as well to, like, for example, for our weekly challenges and stuff, like, I use JavaScript on the back end. Uh, so I'm not familiar with uh, front end APIs uh, and DOM APIs. So yeah, I did Pear's course to kind of just brush up on things as well. I first came into Scrimba with Pear's Flexbox and Grid courses. I think one of the students at vSchool, the bootcamp I worked for, maybe sent it and said, this is a good a good resource. And we passed it around the instructors and we all really liked it. And so I, I connected with Pear because the platform seemed like a really good option for us at vSchool to record our own courses on the Scrimba platform. And so while I was still at vSchool, we ended up recording all of our curriculum that we normally taught live in class on Scrimba because it allowed students to practice while they were learning it. I mean, that's even better than a live class because there's a struggle when you're teaching live that students are either listening and understanding or they're trying to type everything down that you're trying to that you're typing on the screen. And it's really difficult to do both. And so, yeah, we we became very familiar with Scrimba as we were recording hours and hours and hours of content uh, on Scrimba. How, how about you let us know in the chat, like, where did you first learn about Scrimba? Like, what was your first introduction to it? Whether it maybe it was a course, maybe it was from a YouTube live stream, then you realized we, we primarily focus on a curriculum called the Frontend Career Path. Then he mentioned that PERS, Flexbox, and CSS Grid was the top result after Googling for that subject. How about you, Alex? I worked as a developer advocate at a startup called Pusher, where we released a new product. It was a developer tool that helped programmers code chats, like real-time chats into their application. And my job on that team was to try and find new users for that product. And so I was on free code camp, sort of looking at you know, what topics people are excited about. I was writing some posts about how to build a chat app with React and things like that when I stumbled upon Per and his writing about Scrimba, because in the this was maybe three, three and a half years ago now. I think in the early days, one way that Scrimba got a lot of traction was through Per's writing on Medium, especially around Flexbox and CSS Grid and stuff like that. And so I reached out to Per and asked if he wanted to collaborate on a course about the product I was trying to teach people about, essentially. And I was just blown away by Scrimba on day one because I'm a self-taught programmer. I knew just how annoying it was to like follow a YouTube video that was low resolution. You couldn't copy the code. Sometimes they would move too fast or skip over things they assumed were obvious. But in Scrimba, for the most part, you always watch the code evolve so you can see what's happening and trace it all back to the origin. Or like you would download the code in a zip file and then there'd be missing dependencies and stuff, like super frustrating. And then over the years, I think Scrimba has just refined and got better at utilizing the platform to, to use a sort of teaching style that makes you interact with the code. And uh, yeah, absolutely fell in love. I think in terms of the uh, modules I've watched, like whenever I'm doing something with CSS Grid or Flexbox, I always come back to Scrimba. <laughs> I can't seem to like commit it to memory, but I love going back to those courses whenever I'm fiddling with uh, CSS Grid or something. Yeah, me too. I don't think anyone can remember Grid. I don't think it's possible. Oh, I know. Any tips, says Caffeinated Pixels, aka Stevie, on which web dev people, topics or hashtags to follow on Twitter? Um, I follow the cats hashtag, topic or both. Why, why am I not surprised? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's good. 
by the way, feel free to answer each other in the chat as well. Like if you have some hashtags or ways of using Twitter, you could suggest like, please chime in so we can all learn from each other. I, to be honest, like I don't really follow hashtags on Twitter because people always end up abusing them. Like for example, hashtag hundred days of code is very interesting. It's very, very interesting. And hashtag code newbie as well. You often find interesting resources and people. And the more you follow those hashtags, the more you start to recognize the people and feel like you're part of a community. Unfortunately, they do get drowned in like promotional posts. Like people see the hashtags trending and they're just lazy and use it, even though all they're doing is ruining the feed for everybody else. Like nobody's going to do your mini MBA course because they follow the hundred days of code hashtag. Um, so I, I, my approach would be to just follow people you find interesting and then look at who they're following and who they're retweeting and sort of build your own your own kind of view. I think someone's already suggested this person, um, Shabba Kissy, has some uh, good web dev tips and uh, lots of nice color palettes and gradients and things. That's a fun account to look at. Michael, I'm sure you want to recommend Gergay. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, I mean, when the podcast with him comes out, then yeah, I'll be I'll be recommending everyone. Well, funny you should say that because the podcast with Gergay is coming out in like half an hour. Can you tell us about oh, wow. him? Maybe? Oh wow! Can you just quickly tell people about Gergay, why they should follow him, but more importantly, why they should listen to the podcast episode later today? I mean, to be fair, I'm not like the definitive expert on him. Um, like well. <laughs> <laughs> in, in Swimbook. In the world, I am, yeah. Um, kind of, to be honest, um, I never actually spoke to him. <laughs> that's, that's the funniest thing. I read a lot of his <laughs> blogs and stuff. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to the podcast. I, I dropped a Twitter handle. He uh, used to be a manager at Uber Amsterdam, and he's pretty much the only uh, person I know in Europe who is very open about compensation in Europe and very open about career ladders within tech companies. Because he also works in Skyscanner in London, he kind of knows the European scene between London and Amsterdam. So following his career tips is quite useful because they're very applicable to people who are also in Europe. Because mainly most career posts are usually US centric. It's kind of unfortunate that there isn't, like, apart from him, I don't really know anyone else who is out advising anything outside of the US. But if you if you know anyone, uh, drop me a link. I would love to follow those people as well. You know, if it's somewhere in Asia or in Africa, South America, uh, yeah, I would love to follow people to know a little bit more about the local market. Yeah, and he basically publishes like how the projects work internally within companies, how decisions get made. So his probably most popular article was about the trimodal nature of compensation within tech. So like, you know, the first level is what you can find by looking at Glassdoor. The second level is like, you know, the salaries that you hear about. And the third level is kind of like really hidden top salary compensations that rarely anyone talks about. And that was the first ever I came across. But and then obviously after that, people just started coming out and saying, yeah, oh, that's actually true. A lot of a lot of that is is 100 percent true. I would definitely follow him for kind of progress your career. Uh, and uh, know a little bit more about kind of how to be better at being better. You know, it's like learning how to learn, kind of like one of these topics. It's a meta 
adjacent topic to the work we do. Wicked, yeah. I had such a great time talking to Gergay. I mean, the way I would describe the episode, I think it's going to feel like you put your headphones on and you're downloading knowledge from the internet into your brain because Gergay just has so much to share and he says it quite quickly and it's quite full on, but I don't want to interrupt him either because I'm learning so much. And so hopefully, hopefully you enjoy it and definitely worth a follow i'm super i'm super jealous mate super super jealous (laughs) i think there's a lot of uh other cool people to follow here as well but just quickly bob i didn't i didn't really hear from you is there anybody you follow on twitter or any hashtags or anything like that i'll have to look it up i i can't remember offhand it's just random yeah just random people that i think other people have retweeted and i just followed them so let me let me listen mostly tennis things in other words (laughs) no I'd say my my Twitter feed is probably 90% dev and maybe 10% US politics. That's about it. Oh, really? Okay. But yeah, feel free to let us know in the chat if you if you come across something. Cool. Axel asked, when do you think students should start looking for job postings? Axel says ASAP. You could learn a lot from the interviews and the feedback. Um, but yeah, what's your impression being Leanne? I know you've spoken to Jermaine Jupiter a fair few times on the live stream, as well as Molly May, who's a recruiter here in the UK. Jermaine's advice is what you just said, which is try applying for things as soon as possible and let them make the decision of if you're ready or not. You don't know what they're looking for. If they're advertising for a junior role, that could mean any number of things. It, they could actually be wanting a mid-level developer on a cheap salary, or they could be wanting what a junior actually is, which is someone they can get on well with and train up to another level, in which case you're probably in with a good chance. And the only way to find out is to go for it. And the other benefit of starting early is you get interview practice. There's really nothing to lose. And um, Molly May recommended talking to recruiters and asking what they think. So if you get hold of a recruiter on LinkedIn and just say, look, these are my skills. This is what I know. What do you reckon? They'll either tell you, ideally, I've got the perfect role for you. Or they'll say, well, I think what you need to focus on now is this, this and this. And then you'll at least know what to do next and roughly how far off you are. You started pretty early, didn't you, Michael? Because you got a job quite quickly. Yeah, I think I, I was definitely applying way before I was anywhere near qualified. I think like the moment when I thought, I think I'm kind of qualified to, in my head, I thought, okay, I think I'm kind of deserve to be paid for this was probably after two years of experience. So waiting until you're ready mentally is definitely too late. I could have missed out on two years of experience in that in that case. Well, I say I could have missed out. I wouldn't have got it at all. So exactly. yeah, definitely applying. And I think uh, talking to recruiters, I remember the very first recruiter that I had who actually pretty much coached me through uh, the interviews. He was like telling me how to prepare he was telling me what to research and how to do the stuff. So yeah, if you just just talk into them, and uh, they're very very friendly people. You know, their job is to get you a job. So they would be very happy to make sure that you succeed. Ask them questions. You know, if you're not quite sure about something, just ask them. They have no problem answering it because they don't work. Well, most of the time, they don't work for the company. If you have some reservations about people or tech or whatever, yeah, just go for it. They're basically your your friend. They they know a little bit about the job and they will tell you what to do. It's, it's quaint exactly. that this comes up now because I, I spoke with Taylor Dessen about maybe two weeks ago, who was a senior recruiter. And I really asked them quite a lot of questions about 
you know, as a junior developer, when do you feel like it is a good time to reach out to a recruiter? You might feel like you want to wait until you've got a better skill set or something. His answer mirrored yours exactly, Michael. I think that's, I think it's spot on. And then he also described that through LinkedIn, you can use something called a Boolean search, which basically means you search for two things at once, I think. Well, someone can correct me if I'm wrong about that. Um, but the but the principle is that if you want to find a recruiter on LinkedIn, you should search for a recruiter in your local area or in the area you're hoping to work. There are thousands of recruiters out there, so you might as well filter on location. Or you can even search for like recruiter, junior developer, and some recruiters will even have in their bio something like, hey, I'm hiring from all skill levels from junior to senior. But then what Taylor said crucially is that when you reach out to that person, your direct message has to consist of like three specific things. Like first, you want to be intentional about why you're reaching out to them and kind of explain that, hey, I saw your bio. Looks like you've been doing some really great work. I'd love to connect with you and learn a bit more about your opportunities. So you're not just saying, hey, or hi, I saw a role. Can you connect me? Or something kind of lazy like that. You're really showing them that you understand what they have to offer. After that, Taylor suggests that you are very specific about what you're hoping to get from the call because maybe they can't give you what you need. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It would only be a bad thing if you wasted each other's time by going further down that path when you can't help each other. So, for example, when you reach out to a recruiter on LinkedIn, you could say, hey, I've been learning to code. I think I'm getting close. I wanted to talk to you and ask like, what the market looks like in this specific city. And if there are any jobs that sort of suit my skill set, I'd love to connect with you or something like that. And then finally, I think what Taylor said is that you should ideally be as specific as possible about you know, how long it will take and what time you are to meet. Because if you think about it, if you message um, Bob, for example, I'm not. this is not an open invitation to DM Bob, just an example. It's just if you wanted to meet, if you said, hey, I'd like to meet about this thing. And if in principle, Bob said, yeah, that's great. You'd then have to send another message back and forth to like coordinate the time and the place. And if it's uh, over a different time zone, that's going to really slow things down. So if you can kind of suggest the time to meet in a specific time window, you're much more likely to get a response. Um, so yeah, there are a few tips if you want to reach out to a recruiter. I'll just quickly say that Axel's specific question, I think, was when you should start to look up job postings. And to that, I say, look them up as soon as possible. Like if your goal is to become a developer, you're probably going to wonder at some point, you know, when am I ready to start applying? Well, the only way to answer that question for sure is to apply to the job, but that's a big step. Before that, you can look at the job ads, even on day one of your coding career, and start to get a sense of what kind of skills people are looking for in your market, in the area that you're looking to get a job. Or if you're trying to get a job remotely, you can look at things like the the sort of uh, soft skills that are important for roles like that, and it will build up your impression of what's required, and that can inform the things you'll learn next. So there's certainly no harm in looking and keeping an eye on the prize. Um, as for when you apply, that's uh, kind of an individualistic thing. Some people, some people's personalities are such that they are quite bold and will apply early and don't fear the rejection. For some people, they can feel uncomfortable but do it anyway. And then for some of us, we wish to take our time. And that's if that's who you know you are, then that's fine as well. No one can really tell you otherwise. But in general, kind of making sure you push your comfort zone is, is, is generally a good thing when you're looking to make a big change in your life, like becoming a developer. Good advice. And while I was doing my impersonation of a TED talk, was there, did I miss any questions in the chat? No, oh, I suggestion. Think, yeah. Deb, how about a course on creating your resume? The content is already there in the form of Screamer podcast, but we would be in addition to the front end career path. There is a section, I think it's module 14, or one of the later ones is um, basically career stuff the reason we tend to keep it to podcasts or youtube is that 
uh, things like building a resume don't really lend themselves that well to the Scrimba platform because, well, you don't really do stuff with code. Although maybe you could. You could make your resume in code. I mean, that would be impressive. But generally, it's a PDF or a Word doc, isn't it? So um, that's the reason we do it on there. But yeah, check out the later modules in the career path. And we do have things like job search tips and uh, technical interview questions and stuff like that. Any more suggestions? Just let us know. Inezer asks, about freelancing, how do you value your work when deciding to bill your client? I'm just going to base this on my conversation with Tom Hurst. He easily makes over $100,000 a year doing freelancing and has built a very successful freelance business. And I kind of asked him this question, actually. And he, he made it very clear from the beginning that it's just the way of life that you shouldn't really expect to get paid as much at the very beginning of your career as a bit later on. Like, obviously, the more experience you have, the more you can build. I think that there's a balance to be struck there in terms of getting some experience because you might be willing to work at a reduced rate to, you know, not every value is monetary, right? Like they could leave you an incredible review and that review you could use to get your next opportunity at a job or something like that. But to be honest, working for free is not the best idea because people will tend to drain you and take advantage of it. It's just the way it goes in my experience. And so actually pricing yourself can be can be tricky. Um, you have a few options. You kind of first have to decide if you want to bill by the hour or if you want to bill by the project. Generally, billing by the hour is good for both parties, actually, because, you know, as a you're kind of incentivized to work quicker as a developer. If you happen to finish early, the client doesn't pay as much. But honestly, a lot of people on Upwork and those platforms want you to kind of bid per project because it normally favors them, especially when you're a beginner programmer. So my, my recommendation would be to, to go per hour. And then to price yourself, I think it helps to then go on Upwork or a similar talent platform and look at what people whose profiles look similar to yours might be charging. Because at the end of the day, that's how it, that's what a potential client is going to look at. They'll be comparing your offerings and your price as part of that. And so that can at least give you a sort of um, an impression of where to start your pricing. Obviously, if you feel like you can deliver more value, then you can price more. It's, it's quite difficult to give a one-size-fits-all answer. So I think the best I can offer is to sort of get your mindset right. People at the beginning sometimes earn a bit less, and that's okay because you can grow and earn reputation and referrals and things like that. And then to price yourself, you just have to do your homework, really, and see what, what makes sense for you and what you're doing. Ayush asks, what are some good resources for project ideas for intermediate React learners? So I think what Ayush has in mind is um, somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong, but somewhere where you can go to um, find ideas for things you can build with React. I'm not sure how well it would really translate into React, although I don't see why it wouldn't. But I think front-end mentors would be quite good for things like that if you picked the right project. To be honest, I, I quite struggle with that myself, so I would like to know the answer. <laughs> I remember at the time I was trying to Google out like intermediate React projects, but I couldn't find anything. It was more like build a calculator or tic-tac-toe and stuff. And for some people, it works and, and things. But I found that, yeah, just trying to solve your own problem is probably a little bit easier. So like um, maybe build yourself a map about something or, you know, trying to automate. I think one of the examples was like Wes Boss posted how he created himself uh, like a cron job that runs and notifies him of new used bicycles listings on eBay uh, because his hobby was to like refurbish and 
flog flog them again. So I mean, that's a really great intermediate uh, project. You know, create a dashboard for newly uploaded eBay stuff uh, that you're interested in buying. So yeah, I, I would say that definitely follow something like that. In my case, it was more like building something for work and. Uh, you know, just improving, building up some features and things. I was quite interested in just Python scripting and stuff. So I was, at the time, I was writing uh, little scripts for my mechanical engineering job. But then when I already got a job and had to learn React on the job, at that point, you know, there are so many different projects you can do and features to build at work that you don't really have to ask that question. Some good suggestions coming in the chat. Axel says, pick a website you love and make a clone of it. Yeah, to take that step further, you could also improve it in some way. So if you're into Netflix, maybe you think, oh, there's just so much stuff on it. Um, I wish I could narrow it down. Well, clone Netflix and then build that. Grumpy Dev, a.k.a. Jose, says you could uh, find small businesses who have really bad websites and refactor them. It's a good idea. Quite often I see a website and I think, no, I don't think I'm that brilliant, but I could definitely do better than this. And I wonder <laughs> if I should ask them, like, uh, would you like a website? So, yeah, that's a good suggestion. And build high-quality reusable components that websites need, like navigation forms, image gallery. I think uh, what people often say is um, build something that solves a problem that you have. So if you've got trouble, I don't know, uh, keeping track of your World of Warcraft figures, for example, you could <laughs> make some kind of database or if you're having issues with your cat destroying things, you could make a logbook of that or whatever it is that you need, because that will um, give you the drive to actually complete the project because you know that it will help you. Why do you think people struggle with this so much? Like, I think it's a question that comes up fairly often. Like, you know, what project should I build? I think maybe people fall into the trap of thinking there's a good project or a bad project to build or, or there's a particular type of project that employers are looking for. I don't really think that's the case. I mean, when I got my developer job, I built uh, some kind of pet sitting website. Um, so yeah, I don't I really that. think, yeah, I don't think it matters what you build. I mean, as long as it's not anything obscene, because you're not going to show that in a job interview. But as long as the tech behind it is decent, that's what really matters. So if you want, I don't know, a mini baby database, and build that. I think Danny's answer makes a lot of sense, because project planning, management and design are very separate skills than what we focus on as developers. What do you guys yeah. think in the chat? Does that sound like you? I am kind of curious because I feel like as a developer, there's always exciting problems to solve. And I think Axel's point about copying existing products is excellent, actually, because if you were to copy a project, it does eliminate all those things Danny just mentioned. You don't have to worry about planning necessarily or choosing what features to add because that sort of mental burden has been taken away as you're now just copying something. And the same for design, right? You can basically emulate the design. And if you are to be a front-end developer and you're not particularly creative, not every job, but often turning a Figma or let's just say Photoshop, even though people won't likely be using Photoshop nowadays, part of it is converting a design into, into code. And so that kind of exercise, I think, is really productive. And then if you wish to add more features, yeah, you're right, Leanne, you could totally do that. Uh, maybe maybe looking on product hunts as well, because I think maybe the intimidating thing about Netflix, a Netflix clone or any big application, like, you know, I saw someone build a SoundCloud clone and a Spotify clone of React. They sound like intermediate to advanced projects you could consider, but they are quite broad, aren't they? 
Whereas if you go on Product Hunt, which is a website where people submit new products they've built, normally little startups or little prototypes of apps, um, you know, you could probably find projects that have got quite a small scope and they're more digestible. Like it's easier to, to sort of build it. Like it won't take as much of a commitment, right? Because it's got a smaller scope is what I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. It sounds a lot more manageable. Marley is saying uh, in the chat, I don't have a problem with ideas. I have a problem with planning. And Michael says, time is my biggest problem. Um, yeah, this message I received from Agilan asking, is it better to be really focused on one language or should you be trying to get a comprehensive understanding of a lot of different things? I feel that if you have HTML, CSS and JS and a solid understanding of those, that's the real basis of everything else. So as long as you've got those, you can then build on top of that other technologies if you want. Um, but if you don't have those, I think you're going to have a bit of a tough time. Do you agree with that? Like those three are the foundation of everything else you will do as a web developer. Mm -hmm. When it comes to frameworks and libraries, like you can learn Angular or you can learn React. You can learn a specific networking library. But no matter what you do, you will need those three. And with those three, you can go very far. And so focusing on those three is non-negotiable in my view. And then when it comes to like picking different technologies, we're now talking about, you know, front-end JavaScript frameworks or CSS utility libraries like Bootcamp or Tailwind, a boot, Bootstrap, sorry. Um, I think that honestly, it's not such a bad thing to play around with a few different things and just maybe spend an afternoon or a couple of afternoons like learning bootstrap for the sake of it because it'll be it doesn't hurt to have a wide view of what tools are available but i would certainly just try to bias towards picking one and sticking to it because at the end of the day what you're trying to cultivate as a developer is a sharp tool belt where you know what tool to reach for for the job it takes a while to build right because you need to know what tools are out there and which are suitable for which job um, and how to do, and maybe there's more efficient tools for the job, right? Like you could, you could saw something, or you can use an electric saw. But if you don't know an electric saw exists, you're going to be wasting time with that kind of manual labor. I, I don't really agree with. Like, I think some people kind of learn React for a bit, and they start to get quite anxious. Like, oh no, have I picked the right thing? Are there jobs for this? Is it better to choose Angular? You follow some people you look up to on Twitter and they're Vue.js developers. Now you think you're missing out. Then this new shiny technology comes out and you want to try it. I really have no issue with like trying different technologies, but I think it helps to kind of conceptualize a tool belt and consider what tools you want and to spend more time, you know, learning those tools, whether it's to be to be clear, I mean, just pick React or Angular. Don't half don't half ass each of them, right? Just pick one and stick to it. Um, but it doesn't hurt to know a bit of Angular or React if you chose the other. Rike is asking, do you know how many students have actually finished the front end developer career path? Or is that Top secret or unknown? I mean, I don't know offhand, definitely. I think we probably could find out from the database. Well, I couldn't. Folk could, probably. But it's not mm, to hand, let's say that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm sure there's a way of... Well, yeah, anyone who's completed the course would be marked as like completed and then we could find out from that. So yeah, but yeah, we don't know that. It is it's quite a small percentage, isn't it? Like, it's not, not to say that... It's not easy to finish the career path, first and foremost. And I don't mm -hmm. think, you know, I think completing it is not always the right thing to do. Like you don't, maybe for example, you've already been learning for a few months and you jump into the career path a little bit later, like maybe start with module you know, five or six, for example, or maybe you follow the career path, but you don't, you're not ready to apply for jobs. So you don't watch the career module. 
So it's not, yeah. And then the reason why I think it might be, it's quite an elite few who've completed it. And we can kind of see that in the in the Discord server, right? Because if you complete the career path and you DM somebody at Scrimbert with your like a screenshot showing you've completed it, and we we check your user ID in the database and it matches up, then we'll give you like a career path graduate badge on Discord, won't we, Leanne? We will. Yeah, it's pink. Yeah, I think Taha is in here listening to the like Taha has uh, got the career path graduate badge and is listening. So, hey Taha. The other thing is seen quite a few people in the um i got hired section that they get hired before they actually finish it so yeah. after that they're um, a bit too busy with their jobs to actually ever finish the course but i mean i think that's fine because it's done what it's set out to do for those people so any plans says inaza for the month of hackathons in october not at the moment but we have started planning Java Scriptmas. Woo woo woo. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> yeah, very excited about this. So hopefully you're all going to join in our 24 days of Java Scriptmas, Java Script challenges. Question Somebody. from Elaine. Uh, question to the moderators. What drew you to working with Scrimba and what do you find here that you weren't able to find in other companies that led you to continue staying here? I'm often amazed at how much time and energy you put into maintaining Scrimba and it feels more than just a job. Yeah, that's true. What drew me to working with Scrimba? Kind of everything, really. It's just fun. It's exciting. Every day is different. Also, what did I find here that you weren't able to find in other companies? Well, uh, <laughs> I've just remembered this is being recorded. So before I start slagging <laughs> off my previous jobs, um, I will say Scrimba is significantly better than any of my previous jobs and leave it at that. I think Scrimba is the longest job I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, it's a cool place to work. Agreed. I guess there's like a few reasons to, to work somewhere. You, you want to feel a sense of autonomy. At Scrimba, you get a lot of autonomy. We have quite a lofty mission, which is to help people uh, to, to get sort of like a Stanford level education at the price of the gym membership. At least that's what, that's what we say more so internally than externally these days. And so that's like quite a lofty mission. And we have a good amount of like autonomy to figure out the best way to get there as individual people. I think that having purpose is also very important to feel satisfaction in your job. And obviously being able to help make a real impact on people's lives, help them make the change that I think, I don't know about you, Michael, but you did, you did change career. I think with you, Leanne, like, I think learning to code was a big catalyst in, in your life. Like, I think it had a big impact and, and for me as well. So maybe sort of being able to help people who are in a similar position is very, it feels purposeful and rewarding, in my opinion. Exactly. And then the last factor, I think, is like, this is not my answer to your question, Elaine. So I'm just, I'm kind of saying this stuff because I think it matters to you all listening as well, if you're looking for a job, like you want autonomy, you want purpose. And then there are hygiene factors, like these are like perks, right? Like it, it has to be suitable for the lifestyle you want to lead, whether it's like compensation or flexibility, or um, if you're very focused on self-development, then perhaps having something like a learning stipend would be good for you. But yeah, they're the three things that you want to look for when you're you're sort of considering a job, I think. And at Scrimber, I mean, takes those boxes for me. Yeah, me too. Oh, and one last thing. Sorry, I did think this earlier. I just forgot to say it. Um, and awesome people to work with. Like, I have so much fun working with you guys at Scrimbert. Yeah. I'm getting to connect with, like, so many cool people, whether it's, like, experts on the streams or the podcast or, you know, students as they as they learn to code. And I'm so proud of everybody who gets a job as a developer. Like, it's a great feeling. I also enjoy seeing uh, Scrimbert pets. So if you <laughs> yeah, have a pet, uh, 
if you haven't put it in Scrimba Pets yet, or even if you have, you know, I'm sure you have many pictures of your pets. Send some more. Yeah, you can never have too many. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Deb's pointed out that. Um, oh, question from Inaza. So I'll come back to Deb. Um, have has the Scrimba team ever met in person? Well, me and Michael obviously have. You say, you say obviously, think... but often you, you kind of like don't give people the context about your relationship and I, I don't know when to step in. <laughs> and then they just see us on the live stream in the same room. Yeah, so, so we've met. Um, <laughs> and um, the Norwegian uh, factor, <laughs> they've met. They have an office in Oslo now, but I'm not sure how often they go to it. And the rest of us have not met yet, but hopefully we will soon. Deb's pointed out that the power hour is starting now. So that's good. Yeah, yeah go for I'm it. I'm pumped to learn after this session. Great news. We have to wrap up in just a minute, but while while, while you two are handing out career path graduate badges, does anybody else want <laughs> <move> one? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I think in Marika and Tom's case, I think we already knew that you've completed it. But if you if you do come apart, if you do complete the career path, DM any of us with a screenshot and we'll make that happen for you. It'd be great to recognize your dedication to the career path. But yeah, that's all we have time for today. Oh, thanks for the good chat, guys. And see you next week. Yeah, totally. And, Every um, Tuesday, same place, same time. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Thanks again. See you soon. See you. Bye.